This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. Welcome to the Humanist Report. My name is Mike Figueredo, and this is the 60th episode of the podcast. Before we get started, we have several new people to thank that decided to join the independent progressive media revolution. Today, we have Christoph Falkowski, who sent in a donation. We also have Sarah Lopert, a new VIP member, as well as Miriam Garcia, another VIP member, and Brian Rice, an additional VIP member. Lots of new VIP members. You can check out his website at zedicusthinks.wordpress.com. We also have Gail Nestle, who is a new member. And then we have several people to thank that decided to support us on Patreon. We have Catherine Barber, Daniel Oates, Spyro Spiros, and Tim Winchester. So thank you to all of these individuals for deciding to sponsor this episode as well as the podcast. If you would also like to support the show, then you can see the links down below in the description box. But so long as you just tune in every single week, that is all I can honestly ever ask or hope for. And I'm never going to bug you beyond that. First up on this episode, I will talk about the email leaks by WikiLeaks, Guccifer 2.0, and the DC Leaks, who has leaked a ton of new incriminating information about the Democratic Party. Additionally, I will address the health controversy surrounding Hillary Clinton and speculate on why she's having a difficult time winning over millennials in a different segment. I'll also talk about progressives such as Elizabeth Warren and how she's urging the next presidential administration to prosecute Wall Street crooks and also contemplate whether or not the Bernie Sanders we all know and love has returned. Now, when it comes to Trump, I'll discuss how he wants to roll back food safety regulations and effectively poison himself, and obviously, I'll talk about why this is stupid. And with the release of the Snowden movie upon us, I'll talk about how Jill Stein would handle the Snowden situation differently than other politicians. So all of these topics will be discussed in this episode. Uh, and before I get started, if it sounds like I'm having a difficult time speaking, it's because I just burned my tongue on a chai latte right before I went on. <laughs> I knew it was too hot, but I had to drink it anyway because, you know, that's the way I am. <laughs> Stupid. All right, so let's go ahead and jump right in. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoy the episode. At a London cybersecurity conference, new internal DNC emails obtained by hacker Guccifer 2.0, later released by WikiLeaks, reveal pay-to-play deals between President Obama's administration and his donors, as well as the true feelings of Colin Powell about Hillary Clinton. Now, I'm going to separate this into two different parts because we have one leak showing the corruption and the pay-to-play deals between President Obama and his donors. This was the release from Guccifer 2.0. And then from DC leaks, we have Colin Powell's emails. So we're going to get to the WikiLeaks Guccifer 2.0 release first. So according to Politico, in total, the latest dump contains more than 600 megabytes of documents. It is the first Guccifer 2.0 release to not come from the hacker's WordPress account. Instead, it was given out via a link to the small group of security experts attending the London conference. Most notable among Tuesday's documents may be the detailed spreadsheets allegedly about DNC fundraising efforts, including lists of DNC donors with names, addresses, emails, phone numbers, and other sensitive details. Numerous security researchers suspect Guccifer 2.0 is a front for Russian intelligence services. Digital forensic investigations of the DNC and DCCC hacks have led cybersecurity firms to blame Moscow-backed hackers for both digital intrusions. Now, some of the most troubling revelations reveal overt corruption within the DNC and within President Obama's administration, but one email sent from Jacqueline Lopez, who is an attorney to the DNC, reads, Can we set up a time for a very brief call to go over our process for handling donations from donors who have given us pay-to-play letters? This reveals that there is this pay-to-play relationship this quid pro quo going on between donors to the Democratic Party and members of the Democratic Party. You donate to them, you get a favor. You might get appointed to a government position, as some of these emails show. So many high-dollar donors were appointed to high-level government positions. So Observer explains that essentially, Obama was auctioning off foreign ambassador positions and other office positions while Hillary Clinton served as Secretary of State. 
the largest donor listed at contributions totaling over 3.5 million. Matthew Barzun served as President Obama's national finance chair during his 2012 re-election campaign and now serves as U.S. Ambassador to the United Kingdom. The second largest donor, Julius Genachowski, donated just under 3.5 million to the DNC and OFA and in exchange was appointed chairman of the FCC by Obama in 2009. The third largest donor on the list, Frank Sanchez, donated just over 3.4 million and exchange was appointed to Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade by Obama in 2010. And there's a long list of people that purchased jobs that were revealed by this hack. Just off the top of my head, I can name several people that President Obama appointed who donated to his campaign. Right now, the current head of the FCC, Tom Wheeler, donated upwards of $500,000 to both of his presidential campaigns, and then lo and behold, he was appointed to the FCC. And what's troubling is that Tom Wheeler came in as a Comcast lobbyist, and he initially wanted to destroy net neutrality, but since everyone put so much pressure on him, Thankfully, he had to listen to us. He was obliged to listen to us because people were literally showing up at his house to protest. And Obama also wanted to appoint an individual as the ambassador of Norway. And he knew very little about Norwegian politics. He didn't know any of the political parties. He didn't know they had a monarchy. So what this shows is that if you donate to President Obama or members of the Democratic Party, the DNC, well, you can buy yourself a job. It's that simple. And if you think that these $3.5 million donations are a lot, well, just think of how much money they'll make over a long-term career saying, look, I was the ambassador of country X. Now I went on to become a lobbyist, for example. So there's a long list of people that donated to the Obama administration and then received something very nice in return. Now, Donna Brazil, who is the new DNC chair, she issued a statement about this new hack. Now, hopefully she's going to be smart and look at what Debbie Wasserman Schultz did and realize, look, I have to do everything what she did differently. Because when the first WikiLeaks release of DNC emails came out, well, all that Debbie Wasserman Schultz did was blame Russians. They didn't talk about the substance of what was in the emails and whatnot. So, I mean, Donna Brazil is going to take a completely different approach, right? And actually accept responsibility? <laughs> Nope, not at all. So here's her response. There's one person who stands to benefit from these criminal acts, and that's Donald Trump, she said in a statement Tuesday night, adding that Trump has embraced Russian President Vladimir Putin and publicly encouraged further Russian espionage to help his campaign. Trump claims his remarks were meant in jest and that he has no knowledge of who hacked the DNC. Brazil also urged people to use extreme caution when accessing the documents, cautioning that they may contain malicious espionage software. Right, see, she's concerned for your guys' computer. She doesn't want you to be hacked by this espionage so software. It's not that she doesn't want you to read the contents of the emails. She's looking out for you, just like the aggregate Democratic Party, right? <laughs> Ridiculous. So, I mean, just like Debbie Wasserman Schultz, she's doing the same thing. She's trying to shirk responsibility for this and is blaming Russia. Now, getting to part two, there's a separate hack by DC Leak. They obtained information from Colin Powell. They have his emails and they released many of his emails uh, that he sent and received from various individuals. So, in emails by Colin Powell, Hillary Clinton's true feelings about Obama were discovered. So, New York Post explains corporate financer Jeffrey Leeds depicted Clinton as a sore loser set on revenge in the emails which were obtained by The Intercept and claimed Clinton is terrified she might lose again, presumably to Bernie Sanders. I think Hillary can't believe she might not make it, Leeds wrote to Powell in March of 2015. It's the one prize she wants. She has everything else. Leeds went on to say that the 2008 Democratic primary left Clinton and Obama as bitter rivals. And she hates that the president, that man, as the Clintons call him, kicked her ass in 2008, he wrote. She can't believe it or accept it. Now, also, Leeds asserts that if Hillary Clinton's email scandal ended up wrecking her campaign altogether like we all thought it would, well, Obama would actually enjoy watching it. That's how much they hate each other. So, I mean, many of us suspected it. We see them playing nice in public. You see Obama endorsing her, saying she's the most qualified candidate ever. But behind closed doors, 
their true feelings are revealed right here. And, you know, this isn't very surprising to me. Now, the thing about this that we have to keep in mind is that this is just hearsay. This is what Leeds is saying. So we don't necessarily know if that's truly how Clinton feels. This is just one individual who's making that statement. So keep that in mind. However, we do have something that isn't hearsay. Colin Powell's actual statement about Hillary and Bill Clinton. He states in one email, I would rather not have to vote for her, although she is a friend I respect. A 70-year-old person with a long track record, unbridled ambition, greedy, not transformational, with a husband still dicking bimbos at home, according to the NYP. So all I can say to that is, wow. I mean, <laughs> politicians in public, they're very rehearsed. You know, they try to speak as eloquently as possible, but when you really get some insight into their true feelings, it's it's completely fascinating to me. Now, also, in another email, he states, I warned her staff three times over the past two years not to try to connect it to me. And he's talking about the email server. I am not sure HRC even knew or understood what was going on in the basement. HRC could have killed this two years ago by merely telling everyone honestly what she had done and not tie me to it. I told her staff three times not to try that gambit. I had to throw a mini tantrum at a Hamptons party to get their attention. She keeps tripping into these character minefields. Everything HRC touches, she kind of screws up with hubris. Alright, so I have to say, Colin Powell has no chill whatsoever. Now, I don't like Colin Powell. He is one of the individuals that got us into the Iraq War, which led to the deaths of hundreds of thousands of Iraqi civilians, not to mention thousands of American troops. But I mean, right here, he's 100% right. Hillary Clinton does tend to mess up everything she touches because she was really given a gift in Donald Trump this election cycle. This should be an easy election, but she's screwing it up somehow, and now she's tanking in the polls, and they're almost tied nationally. I don't know how you do that unless you're entirely incompetent and just don't know how to run a campaign. And Hillary Clinton has shown in 2008, in 2016, that she doesn't know how to run a campaign. She doesn't know how to play it clean. She doesn't know how to do damage control. And Colin Powell is correct here. Now, in response, Hillary Clinton, you know, she gave a typical politician answer. And she said that she feels really bad for Colin Powell because he was the victim of this hacking here. And, of course, you know, she could empathize because the DNC emails were hacked and exposed their collaboration between Hillary Clinton and the DNC. But in the end, I think the main story that we should be concerned with is the overt corruption revealed by the Guccifer 2.0 hack showing that so many people are able to buy their way into government. So this shows that if you try to make it with integrity, if you try to build up this record and have a strong resume, you might not get into a public office that you desire unless you have money. So this just shows that you have to be rich in order to be a part of the American government. If you want to be an ambassador, if you want to be appointed to the head of a federal regulatory agency, you've got to make sure you have that cash and can donate to a president's campaign. Otherwise, you're not going to make it. And this is further proof that we live in an oligarchy. So for quite some time now, there have been inklings here and there about Hillary Clinton's health and whether or not we should be concerned due to the fact that she's had multiple coughing fits, she's exhibited odd behavior, and now there's this fainting episode where she had to be carried into a car. So all of this has led to Hillary Clinton releasing her medical records. Now, I do believe that Hillary Clinton's health is a legitimate concern, particularly after this video was released, but I can't fault anyone for thinking that it was just a conspiracy theory prior to this, seeing that the idea was mostly championed by idiots. I mean, conspiracy theorists like the individuals over at Breitbart and Infowars, such as Alex Jones, people with zero credibility. Also, when you have National Enquirer releasing photos of Hillary Clinton, photoshopped to the point where she looks like Emperor Palpatine, I wasn't initially inclined to believe that this was a compelling story, but now we have actual evidence to validate concerns about her health. So after all of this commotion throughout the week, Hillary Clinton has now released some of her medical records and Donald Trump has released some of his medical records, or actually he gave a doctor's note to a TV doctor in true Trump fashion, because if it's not done on TV, then Donald Trump can't do it. So let's get into the story. So NBC News explains that Hillary Clinton released medical records on Wednesday, providing new details about both her pneumonia diagnosis and general health, just hours after Donald Trump offered some new information about his own well-being in a taped appearance on the Dr. Oz show. 
A letter from Clinton's doctor states that the Democratic presidential nominee last Friday was diagnosed with mild, non-contagious bacterial pneumonia. She is recovering well with antibiotics and rest. She continues to remain healthy and fit to serve as president of the United States, said Dr. Lisa Bardick, Clinton's doctor. Dr. Bardick also revealed she evaluated Clinton a week earlier on September 2nd for a fever, congestion, and fatigue. Over the next several days as she traveled, her congestion worsened and she developed a cough. She was advised to see me when she returned from her travels for further testing, Dr. Bardick wrote. During the follow-up, a non-contrast chest CT scan revealed the pneumonia. Right off the bat, many people are saying that they don't only believe that she has pneumonia and they think there's something else going on because she talks about how Hillary Clinton developed a cough over the last week or so. But I mean, there are videos that go back to 2015 when Hillary Clinton was having these uncontrollable coughing fits. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Too much to say. So I, I get why people are concerned that there's something more going on here. Now, getting to Donald Trump, the release of Clinton's records came just hours after Trump provided some new medical information of his own in a taped appearance of the Dr. Oz show, which is scheduled to air Thursday. Trump handed the show's host a letter containing new details from a recent examination with Dr. Harold Bornstein. I looked at them and tried to process it pretty quickly, and I got to say, as a doctor, if he was my patient, they are good for a man of his age, Dr. Oz said. Those in the audience told NBC News after the interview that Dr. Oz gave Trump a clean bill of health. Other than apparently his body mass index being a little high, the man is in incredibly good shape. Dr. Oz was very, very impressed, said Matthew Stevens, who was also in the audience. Okay, so I have a range of opinions on this topic overall, and I might just break a humanist report record here because not only am I going to defend Hillary Clinton and defend Donald Trump, which I always criticize them, I'm going to defend them both, but in the same video, I'm also going to criticize them. <laughs> so we're just, we're going to, you know, there's something for everyone to love in this video, essentially. So getting to Donald Trump, look, out of all the TV doctors that you could have chosen, you chose to go to the biggest quack possible. So Dr. Oz is someone that has recommended, quote, plant-based magic weight loss cures. He recommended communicating with the dead in order to reduce stress. He's also championed homeopathy to fight off colds and the flu, as well as, quote, miracle appetite suppressants. And he's also recommended, quote, harnessing energy to help patients survive risky surgeries. So let's just put it this way. I would be more satisfied if Donald Trump had went to Dr. Dre with his medical results. <laughs> because Dr. Oz is as big as a fraud and a quack as you could possibly imagine. So that's my, <laughs> that's my take on that immediately. But at the same time, there's really no concerns over Donald Trump's health. He's given us no reason to believe that he's unhealthy aside from him being overweight. So I don't necessarily believe that he needed to give us all of his medical records, but I understand that he's trying to compete with Hillary Clinton since she's now going to be releasing her medical records. For me personally, I would have much preferred to see Donald Trump's tax returns rather than his medical records. But with that being said, um, getting to Hillary Clinton... I do feel the need to defend her in two different ways, but I also want to be critical of her in two different ways as well. First of all, there's multiple videos of her having coughing fits for quite some time, and there's also evidence that her handlers were carrying medication to prevent seizures, although this is unconfirmed, and there's also some legitimate concerns you can still have about Hillary Clinton's health. But with that being said, there's really just no way of knowing whether or not there's any other underlying medical issues. And if you focus on what could potentially be wrong, then that distracts us from focusing on the real issues like her hawkish military policy. And there are many people now contending that she might have Parkinson's disease and that this is a pneumonia that people with Parkinson's tend to develop. I have no idea, and I don't think that we should be diagnosing someone over the internet, especially if we don't have medical degrees, and I am the last person you want to ask about 
medical issues because I have no idea. I have no expertise in this realm, zero whatsoever. So I can't really discuss this in a substantive way. So for me personally, I'd rather focus on what matters, and that's the policy substance. Now, when it comes to my second defense of Hillary Clinton, even if Hillary Clinton did have a life-threatening medical issue, I think you can still make the case that it's not something that's completely disqualifying. I mean, FDR was one of the best presidents in American history, but he was also sick, and he even ended up dying in office due to a cerebral hemorrhage. Now, am I saying that Hillary Clinton is going to accomplish as much as FDR? No, I'm not saying that, and for anyone that watches my podcast, they know that I'm very critical of Hillary Clinton. So I'm not giving her a pass because I want to be like everyone else and just give Hillary Clinton a pass for any and everything. I just think that you can probably make a compelling argument that Hillary Clinton can still uh, govern the country effectively, even if she is sick. And look, I think many people would rightfully disagree with what I just said, and that gets into my criticisms of Hillary Clinton now. So first... Had she actually been more transparent and open about the health issues that she's having? I mean, you wouldn't even have people speculating about her health in the first place. And when she said that she had her coughing fit, well, they were saying that it was an allergy that she was having, and now it was revealed that she has pneumonia. So, I mean, this has exposed Hillary Clinton as a liar yet again, but when it comes to her health. So, I mean, I'm not going to be mad at people who are speculating that she may have Parkinson's because Hillary Clinton is a serial liar. She cannot help herself. She has to lie about everything. So, this is your own fault, Hillary Clinton. I can't blame people for speculating if you're so untransparent. Now, another criticism that I have of Hillary Clinton is the way in which she and her campaign has handled this health scare. What does Hillary Clinton do when she is attacked and she doesn't know how to defend herself? She pivots to identity politics. Secretary Clinton does represent the establishment. I represent, I hope, ordinary Americans, and by the way, who are not all that enamored with the establishment, but I am very proud to have people like Keith Ellison and Raul Grijalva in the House, the co-chairman of the House Progressive Caucus. Well, look, I've got to just jump in here because, honestly, Senator Sanders is the only person who I think would characterize me, uh, a woman running to be the first woman president, as exemplifying the establishment. And there are now cries about sexism over Hillary Clinton's health. I kid you not. Well, that's fine. You can claim that even though it's incorrect, but you also have to be consistent and claim that when John McCain was pressured by Democrats to release his medical records in 2008, you have to claim that that's ageist. And when it comes to Bernie Sanders, one of Hillary Clinton's own surrogates was trying to propagate a conspiracy theory that Sanders was sick and was trying to urge him to release his medical records. And Bernie Sanders did, in fact, end up releasing his medical records. So unless you're willing to say that that attack against Bernie Sanders was both anti-Semitic and ageist, we got a twofer there, then you are not allowed to claim sexism here when there's no evidence for that. It's ridiculous to assert that Hillary Clinton is being held to a different standard because she's a woman. One, when we hold all other older presidential candidates to the same standard, and two, there's literal video evidence showing that she might actually be sick. So that's my criticism and defense of both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And let me just say this. There are a lot of people who are trying to start a hashtag bring back Bernie trend on Twitter. And I am 100% down for this, but let's be honest here. It's probably not going to happen because the DNC, even though there are inklings that uh, they are thinking about a contingency plan. If Hillary Clinton does step down, it's not up to them. It is actually up to Hillary Clinton. And uh, she is not going anywhere if she chooses not to. And we all know that Hillary Clinton, she wants this no matter what. She believes it's her turn. Uh, and that she's entitled to the White House, so I don't think she's going to step down for nothing. So I wouldn't get your hopes up, and even if that is the case, that Hillary Clinton does step down, here's what we have to look forward to. The DNC completely undermining democracy and appointing either Joe Biden or Tim Kaine as the Democratic nominee, because they've shown time and again they have contempt for Bernie Sanders and his supporters, and they want nothing to do with his progressive policies. So there's really no way that Bernie Sanders can be the nominee of a party unless it's outside of the Democratic Party. Look, and let's just say hypothetically speaking, if in some weird scenario Hillary Clinton chooses to step down and the DNC has to find a replacement for her, if they pick anyone other than Bernie Sanders, just know that I will do everything in my power to stop them from getting votes. I will 
attack them every single day and i pretty much do that anyway i criticize them every single day because i'm hoping it's constructive but you know they don't listen but whatever i'm still gonna do it but i will be so pissed i mean i will raise hell about this i'm not talking about violent protests but i'm just saying i will do what i can to uh, defeat the Democratic Party at every single election to make sure they lose in 2016 at every single level, local, national, you name it. So in the end, this health issue will continue to snowball and get out of control for Hillary Clinton unless she pledges to be more transparent. But we all know that's not going to happen. And the fact that she's being very secretive and her campaign surrogates and campaign spokespeople are lying to the media or being disingenuous in the media about her health it's just going to continue to get worse. And with Donald Trump, I don't need to see his medical records. I mean, I'm glad if you want to show them out. I'm always for more rather than less. But dude, release your tax returns. That's what people really want to see. Because nobody's calling for you to release your medical records. We're all calling for you to release your tax returns. So that issue for him is going to get worse unless he actually does it. So these two candidates are both jokes. And that's my take on the issue. So, because the statute of limitations only gives us two more years to prosecute the crooks on Wall Street who crashed the economy in 2008, Elizabeth Warren is now renewing her call for some of these executives to be investigated or potentially jailed. Now, her goal in renewing this call is twofold. One, she wants to figure out why the hell Obama chose to do nothing and not investigate these crooks. And two, she wants to urge the next presidential administration to actually do something and investigate these executives or potentially jail them. Bloomberg explains, in a letter to the Justice Department's Inspector General, Warren calls the lack of prosecutions outrageous and baffling and asks the Inspector General, Michael Horowitz, to investigate why no charges were brought. The DOJ record of action on these individuals nearly six years after DOJ received the referrals is abysmal, she writes. And look, I can save them all some time. You don't even have to have the DOJ look into it. All you have to do is follow the money. So if Elizabeth Warren really wants to know why President Obama chose to do nothing, it's because he was complete and utterly bought off. So his top donors include Goldman Sachs, who donated $1.3 to him. Uh, we also have J.P. Morgan Chase, donated nearly $1.2 to him. And then we have Citigroup, who donated $1 million, among others, but these are his top donors and he also packed his administration with operatives from wall street like timothy geithner so president obama didn't investigate these criminals because he chose to get in bed with them he was bought off by them and was corrupted by them that's why elizabeth warren so there's no investigation needed now also the timing of warren's effort less than two months before the presidential election aims to encourage the next administration to prosecute financial crimes more aggressively than the Obama administration has done. The public outrage is still there, she said. This is about reminding our government officials who they work for. For years, Warren has pushed for regulations to take a tougher stance toward Wall Street. Now look, I'm glad that she's urging whoever's going to be elected to take on Wall Street, but Come on, do you really think that's going to happen, Elizabeth Warren? Because we have the two mainstream political candidates who are polling the highest right now, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, and neither of them will do nothing to take on Wall Street. We have Donald Trump on one hand who says that he wants to dismantle Dodd-Frank, which is not even good legislation, but he wants to dismantle what little regulations we have on Wall Street. So we know Donald Trump's not going to do anything. And I know damn well that Elizabeth Warren knows that Hillary Clinton isn't going to do anything about Wall Street. But I mean, who else is she expecting to do anything other than Hillary Clinton? Because she endorsed Hillary Clinton and she said that Donald Trump has given Wall Street a big wet kiss. She said this on The View. So she actually is implying that she thinks she can, quote, urge Hillary Clinton to do something. Look, you can't be serious, Elizabeth Warren, but I mean, you must be serious since you did endorse Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders. I mean, look, you seriously expect Hillary Clinton to investigate and potentially prosecute the crooks that run Citigroup, J.P. Morgan Chase, Goldman Sachs, and Morgan Stanley. These are the largest donors to her political campaign. You honestly are expecting Hillary Clinton to investigate or potentially jail them, Elizabeth? 
Come on. Now, also, you are expecting someone that profited personally, who was paid $225,000 per speech, which she refuses to release the transcripts of, by the way. You expect that individual to prosecute people that helped her enrich herself on a personal level. When it comes to Elizabeth Warren, she may be a lot of things. You can call her a sellout for choosing to endorse Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders. But one thing you can't call her is dumb. She's not dumb. I know Elizabeth Warren knows that she does not expect Hillary Clinton to prosecute people like Lloyd Blankfein, who are literally her friends. She's not going to send her own friends to jail, Elizabeth Warren. Hillary Clinton is the political embodiment of Wall Street. If you're seriously telling me that you think she's going to do anything about Wall Street and that you're urging her to do something about Wall Street is going to actually make a difference, then you're not being serious. And again, I have to bring up the fact that she chose to run away from Bernie Sanders. That was a candidate who said that the CEOs and crooks should all be afraid of him. That was a candidate who said that the business model on Wall Street was fraud, waste, and abuse. You didn't endorse that candidate, Elizabeth. You chose to endorse the individual who has received millions from Wall Street, who's friends with Goldman Sachs executives and raised millions of dollars giving speeches to Wall Street. Why didn't you endorse the person who actually claimed he was going to do something about Wall Street? And now you have the audacity to urge Hillary Clinton or the next administration, whoever that may be, to do something about Wall Street? Well, clearly you're not being serious. You don't want to do anything about Wall Street because if you did actually want to do something about Wall Street, if you did want to prosecute these crooks, potentially jail them, then why didn't you endorse the candidate who said he was going to do that? It doesn't make any sense to me and I can't help but feel completely frustrated by Elizabeth Warren that she now is calling for an investigation. Well, where were you when the candidate who was going to do that needed your help in Massachusetts? Where were you? You chose to distance yourself from Bernie Sanders when he would have taken on Wall Street and you endorsed his opponent who was financed by Wall Street. So if Hillary Clinton is elected and she inevitably chooses to do nothing and not investigate or prosecute these criminals like President Obama, then don't be surprised. Don't blame anybody but yourself because you had the opportunity to have an administration in the White House that would have taken on these crooks. These crooks hated him. I mean, we had Lloyd Blankfein, the CEO of Goldman Sachs, go on mainstream media outlets and blast Bernie Sanders and fearmonger about him that his ideas are dangerous because they were afraid that he would actually crack down on them and regulate them. Why didn't you endorse that candidate? You have no one to blame but yourself, and I can't help but bring this up every single time now. You talk about getting tough on Wall Street, because if you wanted to get tough on Wall Street, you wouldn't have endorsed Hillary Clinton, their favorite candidate. Even though it's the case that I've been really hard on Bernie Sanders lately, I want to make it clear that I still really love Bernie Sanders. I think that what he did was amazing, and he's the best senator, hands down, in all of Congress, because every other senator, besides Jeff Merkley, the they're either spineless or they're sellouts. So I still love Bernie Sanders. I think he's fantastic. But the problem is, you know, he's been doing things that frustrate me. Uh, he chose to distance himself from Tim Canova. He's been campaigning for Hillary Clinton, and he really needs to stop doing that. Because look, I get that the main objective in campaigning for her is to defeat Donald Trump. But by doing that, you legitimize these corporatist Democrats and you make it acceptable for them to run. But had you distance yourself from Hillary Clinton after you made your initial endorsement, because I get that, but had you chosen not to be a surrogate, that would send a really strong message to the establishment that they don't get to be corrupt and still get support from progressives. So I think that by you actually campaigning for Hillary Clinton, it's really harmful for progressive politics in the United States, and we're never going to get change if the one party that's still relatively viable, the Democratic Party, is going to be just as corrupt and sold out to corporate interests as Republicans. Now, with that being said, Bernie Sanders has done several things as of late that really have made me hopeful. It, it seems like we're getting that old Bernie Sanders back. So if you can put aside the fact that he's campaigning for Hillary Clinton and look at what he's been doing besides that, I think that you, like myself, would be surprised pleasantly and might actually think we're getting old Bernie back. So first of all, I had Misty Snow on the podcast. She is a progressive Democrat running for the Senate from Utah. And, you know, I, I asked her, have you been endorsed by Hillary Clinton or our revolution? And she said, no. 
and she wasn't on the list of progressive candidates backed by our revolution. But as of late, Bernie Sanders, after hearing all of our criticism, Misty Snow has now been added to the list of endorsed progressive candidates on our revolution. And also, he's taken a really strong stance against the Dakota Access Pipeline. So has our revolution. They've also been campaigning against the TPP relentlessly. And Bernie Sanders even went to North Dakota to speak out on behalf of protesters and the Standing Rock So tribe. There are several basic issues that we're discussing today and number one is the end of the exploitation of Native American people and the respect of Native American rights period end of discussion and the second issue of global consequence is that we understand that the future of energy in this country is not more oil, it is not more pipelines, it is not more carbon emissions, it is the transformation of our energy system away from oil, away from pipelines, and away from carbon. And this is a struggle that impacts every person on this planet because the debate is over. The scientific community is 100% clear. Climate change is real. It is caused by human activity. And if we don't get our act together, the planet that we will be leaving our children and grandchildren will not be a habitable or a livable planet. We must not allow that to happen. Senator Bernie Sanders! And all of you really do have an opportunity to make history. There are 435 members in the U.S. House of Representatives, you are about to elect the most outstanding member, a leader. That's the Bernie Sanders I love right there. The one that goes around the country just advocating unequivocally for these progressive policies that we care about or progressive issues that we care about. Now, finally, I told you a couple of weeks ago how Bernie Sanders had renewed his push for a public option after Aetna had decided to bail out of Obamacare, basically screwing over about 10 to 11 million Americans and making them lose health insurance. And he realized, look, if we're not going to get a single-payer system, we at least have to push for a public option, and many spineless Democrats, in true spineless Democratic fashion, decided that they didn't want to take this battle because it's just too politically divisive, and they're also bankrolled by the health insurance industry. So, Bernie Sanders, however, even though he revealed inadvertently so just how spineless and corrupt Democrats are, he continued to push and push and push, and now Senate Democrats are actually taking up this cause. So they're now vowing to push for the Affordable Care Act to be amended to include a public option. So The Hill explains, Senate Democrats and liberal groups are unveiling a new push to add a public option on Obamacare on Thursday. The effort is led by senators including Chuck Schumer on track to be the next Democratic leader and Bernie Sanders who galvanized liberals in his presidential campaign with a push to go even further and set up a Medicare for all system. Senator Jeff Merkley is spearheading the effort. The other Democratic senators joining the push are Senators Patty Murphy, Dick Durbin, Debbie Stabenow, and Barbara Boxer. We need more competition in the insurance markets, not less, and a public option would help reduce costs and provide consumers with more affordable options when it comes to their health insurance, Schumer said in a statement. Look, is this single-payer health care? No, it's not. But if you're not going to have a single-payer health care, I've said this before, you at least have to have a public option. It's crucial because these greedy health insurance industries profit when they give us shitty coverage. They don't want to pay for our medical bills. That's why we have such high deductibles and whatnot. We're getting ripped off. So if you're not going to have a single-payer healthcare system, the bottom line is that you at least need a public option. And Chuck Schumer is absolutely right there. Now, this is honestly shocking to me because you have people who I can't stand. We have Chuck Schumer. He's Amy Schumer's cousin. 
who is the comedian who recently said that people who are critical of Hillary Clinton are, quote, uninformed. And Chuck Schumer is a very centrist, conservative Democrat. He voted against the Iran deal. It was a peace deal that stops them from getting nuclear weapons, but knowing that he probably would profit from going to war, or his donors would profit anyways, uh, he chose to vote against the Iran deal. And then we have Barbara Boxer, the individual who was making up lies during the Democratic convention in Arizona, saying that she was afraid for her life after she was antagonizing Bernie Sanders supporters. Even she's on board. So these are people who I dislike, but I will give them credit where credit is due, even if I still really dislike them. I don't know what Bernie Sanders did. I don't know what the hell he did to possibly get these corrupt idiots on board, but for some reason they're doing it. And, you know, I, I can't help but applaud Bernie Sanders because no one else besides Bernie Sanders could get them to do this. Now, look, let's be objective here. There are still many centrist Democrats who are not willing to fight for this, but for the most part, this initiative, which is spearheaded by one of the most progressive senators, my senator, Jeff Merkley, uh, this is great, and this wouldn't have happened without Bernie Sanders lighting the fire under their asses. So, this is what I like right here. This is the Bernie Sanders we all know and love. We need more of this Bernie, and less of the Bernie that's campaigning for Hillary Clinton and pretending that she's a progressive, and that somehow it's part of the progressive political movement to get Hillary Clinton elected. Not at all. That's part of the neocon movement, and that's evidenced by the fact that uh, war criminals like John Negroponte are really excited about Hillary Clinton becoming the next president because she's very war hawkish. She's a neoconservative. She also advocates for neoliberal economic policies. So I want to see more of this, Bernie. I like this a lot. It gives me hope because I felt like there, you know, inexplicably so, Bernie Sanders had chosen to maybe roll over for the establishment, I don't necessarily think he was a sellout, but I think that maybe he was doing what the establishment wanted him to do by being quiet and not campaigning for Tim Canova and going out and campaigning for Hillary Clinton. But I don't want to see that. I want to see this Bernie who stands up and fights for progressive issues. And kudos to Bernie. This is what I like. I love it. It gives me hope. During the Democratic primary, myself, as well as other progressives, such as Bernie Sanders supporters, uh, people like Jimmy Dore, Kyle Kalinske, had all warned Hillary Clinton supporters that she's not the stronger general election candidate because she can't win over millennials. And the fact that she's the Democratic nominee doesn't really change that because there are other options. There's third-party candidates like Jill Stein, who is championing the policies that we really care about, like a Green New Deal, taking on climate change, actually locking up these crooks on Wall Street. This is what we care about. Jill Stein is inspiring. Hillary Clinton is not inspiring. So we told you that if she was the nominee, you're taking a huge risk because we're not going to support her. We're not going to legitimize a conservative Democrat candidate. If she wants to run and be conservative, so be it. But do it in the other party, not the Democratic Party. That's supposed to be the liberal party. But I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. Because when it comes to a new poll conducted by Quinnipiac, Hillary Clinton loses 43% of millennial support to third-party candidates. So Red Alert explains, Clinton's support among young voters is a strong 55% in a head-to-head -head matchup against Donald Trump, just five points lower than Obama's number in 2012. But when millennials were given the choice to vote for libertarian Gary Johnson or the Green Party's Jill Stein, a stunning 43% of young Clinton supporters abandoned her in favor of a third-party candidate. In a four-way race, Clinton earns just 31% of the millennial vote, less than half of what Obama received in 2008. Johnson emerges in second place among young voters, gaining 29%, and Trump follows him within the margin of error with 26%. Jill Stein is in a distant but healthy fourth place with 15% of the youth vote. Without a large base of millennials to support her, Clinton's national lead drops from 4% to just 2% well within the margin of error. This honestly isn't surprising to me because millennials, by and large, want the change candidate. If you're going to go up there and advocate for incremental change, well, why would we be excited about that? Because this is our lives. We see all these issues that are going to impact our future, like climate change. I mean, when we're older, we're going to have to deal with health. Who knows what consequences will come to fruition with climate change? We don't know if there's going to be mass migration, new diseases, rising sea levels. These are all things that are terrifying. And if you're not actually willing to advocate for these issues, 
then I don't think millennials are going to get on board. Now, there's several other reasons as to why Hillary Clinton is really struggling when it comes to getting support and why she would be losing to someone like Gary Johnson. It's very simple. Younger people, by and large, are very liberal. And particularly, one issue that they really care about is the Iraq War because we all grew up seeing the sham and we weren't old enough to vote. Our voices weren't heard. So before we were even old enough to have a say, we saw how many trillions of dollars this war cost. We saw the devastation, the lives that were lost, how it destabilized the Middle East, and we couldn't say shit about it. But now anyone who's war hawkish, they're a no-go. So even if it's the case that Gary Johnson might have egregious domestic policies, we at least know that if he gets into office, he's not going to start any more wars. Another issue, which I think has become really important, is marijuana legalization. Hillary Clinton, her stance on this issue is just very far behind. She's not on board with legalization. Gary Johnson is. Young people really care about this issue, myself included, because not only is it a racial issue because even if it's the case that white people smoke pot at the same amount if not higher than African Americans they're four times as likely to be locked up so you have that dynamic and also the fact that this is just modern day prohibition okay it's time to legalize pot but yet we have big pharma and the alcohol industry fighting against it and of course Hillary Clinton doesn't want to do anything about it because she's always so slow to catch up on these types of issues that we care about so that's one thing that could help her gain support among young people but she's not choosing to do anything about it. And also, she's just not trustworthy. So you have people like Samantha Bee criticizing progressives and Bernie or Busters because, oh, well, Hillary Clinton, she adopted all of Bernie Sanders' plans. I mean, Bernie Sanders won the platform. Isn't that more important? Don't you care about the policies? Well, yeah, I care about the policies more than the candidate, but I don't trust Hillary Clinton. We all know that her arm was twisted to get those policies. Bernie Sanders was not going to concede and drop out or endorse her if she didn't sign on to at least a couple of progressive policies. Because of that, we know that she doesn't actually care about these policies. Anything that she did choose to stand up for that progressives care about, like the TPP, we know that she's doing that because it's a politically expedient position to take. So she, ha and look, she has some great policies when it comes to free college tuition. I love this policy proposed by Hillary Clinton, but here's the problem. I don't believe she's going to fight for it. I love the fact that she just proposed a really robust plan to expand mental health care in the United States. I don't believe Hillary Clinton's even going to get in and fight for it. So if you have someone who's willing to lay down on their progressive policies, then you're not going to get progressive change. So yes, I do care about the policies, but I don't trust Hillary Clinton. She's disingenuous. She's one of the most corrupt, focus group, poll-driven candidates ever. And nothing she says resonates because I can't believe a single word that comes out of her mouth. Now, with that being said, let's be fair here. I, the same is true for Donald Trump. I don't believe a single word that comes out of Donald Trump's mouth. And even if it's the case that he's more personable, he may not be intelligent, but at least he's personable. He speaks in a way that's not, you know, rehearsed or robotic. Now, I don't believe anything he says either. So it's not just that, you know, I dislike Hillary Clinton. I dislike both of these candidates, both mainstream options we have, one of which will most likely become the president of the USA. I don't like either of them. And most millennials agree with me here. So look. This isn't shocking. That's the takeaway. The fact that Hillary Clinton is struggling to get millennial support is not surprising. Bernie Sanders got like 80% or higher in some states of the millennial support. And what's sad is that even Donald Trump got more millennial support among conservative voters, that is, throughout the Republican primary. So it's just, it's not shocking. Look, I'm going to speak for young people. We want reassurance from a candidate. We want to vote for someone that we believe is actually going to care about our futures and not just seek public office to enrich themselves and sell more book deals or increase their power or whatever. I want someone who is going to fight for progressive policies and I just don't believe that Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump are going to do that. So that's why I'm voting for Jill Stein. That's why many millennials are voting for Gary Johnson and many are voting for Jill Stein. So, I mean, that's the bottom line. Hillary Clinton does nothing to inspire millennials. And if you don't inspire young people, it's going to be very difficult for you to get into the White House. In one of the best, most well-written op-eds I've ever read for The Guardian, Jill Stein called on President Obama to pardon Edward Snowden. And not only that, she said that as president, she would pardon Edward Snowden and actually give him a position 
in her administration. So she states, on June 6th of 2013, The Guardian broke the news National Security Agency had ordered Verizon to provide it with the phone records of its customers. As the story developed, it became clear that the two other major telephone networks, as well as credit card companies, were doing the same thing, and that the NSA and FBI were being provided with access to server systems operated by Google, Apple, Facebook, Yahoo, Microsoft, and Skype. On June 11th, The Guardian reported the source as Edward Snowden, a 29-year-old who had been working at the NSA for four years. Snowden believed it was important for him to publicly acknowledge his role in order to provide a human face to the story. He knew he was putting his life at risk and exposing himself to decades of incarceration. More revelations followed that exposed a massive national security complex that spies on virtually everyone everywhere. Snowden's whistleblowing was among the most important in U.S. history. It showed us that the relationship between the people of the United States and the government has gone off track and needs a major course correction. The Fourth Amendment of the Constitution provides that a court must find probable cause that an individual has committed a crime before issuing a warrant and forbids systematic spying on the American people. Now, I want to stop right there because now, since she provided us with the context to the Snowden leaks, uh, I think it's important to talk about the political backlash that Snowden received. So even though President Obama, when he was a candidate, said that he would protect whistleblowers, well, he wants to prosecute Edward Snowden. Hillary Clinton, who we all know now, sent and received classified information on an unsecured server, well, she would prosecute Edward Snowden for doing exactly what she did, except her intent was apparently not there, even though we know she was trying to hide her personal email. And Edward Snowden's intent was pure. He was trying to make sure that Americans knew that our civil liberties were being violated by the American government. And also, we have Donald Trump, who called Edward Snowden a traitor and implied that he should be killed. Not kidding. And we have an ex-CIA director, James Woolsey, who said that Edward Snowden should be hung. So we have people literally calling for his death because he was brave enough to expose gross violations of the American Constitution. And this is really frustrating because I think that people should really pay him more respect because if I were in his shoes, I don't know that I would be courageous enough to do what he did. I don't think many people would, to be fair. So I think that we have to actually respect someone who was brave enough to do this, but instead politicians, uh, you know, people in the U.S. government, they've shit all over him. Both mainstream political candidates for president, they both think that uh, he should be in jail right now. It's completely ridiculous. So rather than blaming themselves for violating the U.S. Constitution, they're trying to prosecute the individual brave enough to expose them. So, it, you know, it's just so frustrating. Now, Jill Stein is the only presidential candidate that has handled this in a way that's satisfactory, in my opinion. She states, if elected president, I will immediately pardon Edward Snowden, Chelsea Manning, and John Karaku for their important work in exposing the massive systematic violation of our constitutional rights. I would invite them to the White House to publicly acknowledge their heroism and create a role for them in the Stein Baraka Green Party administration to help us create a modern framework that protects personal privacy while still conducting effective investigations where warranted. I, I don't know what else to say about that. I think that's perfect. Jill Stein is the one presidential candidate I don't know what Gary Johnson's stance is on this, but she's the one presidential candidate who's actually standing up for what's right. Everyone else, President Obama, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, they're all political cowards. But Jill Stein is taking not just a constitutional stance, but a moral stance saying we shouldn't be persecuting and potentially prosecuting people like Edward Snowden. Snowden. We should be touting them as the heroes that they are. And I'm not saying that you can't spy on citizens. If you want to do that, Go get a warrant. That's what we have the Fourth Amendment for. And all these politicians on the left and the right, they always tout how, oh, the founders want this, the founders want that. Well, if you are going to listen to the founders, maybe listen to one of the first Ten Amendments, the fourth one saying that you can't have warrantless searches on American citizens. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And the fact that they would even talk badly about someone who was brave enough to expose this 
It's absolutely just infuriating to me. It's, it's bullshit. They're cowards. They would never have the spine. Obama and Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, they don't have the spines to stand up to their own donors. So you honestly think they would stand up to the federal government, the most powerful country in the world, and expose their secrets that you know they're violating our constitutional rights and our civil liberties? Hell no. They don't have the spine to do it. Obama is a coward. Hillary Clinton is a coward. This ex-CIA director, James Woolsey, who said that Snowden should be hung, is a coward. Donald Trump is a coward. These are all cowards. Edward Snowden is a hero, and he should be welcomed home. And I love the idea of giving him a spot in her administration. This guy made, really, the ultimate sacrifice. I mean, he gave up his freedom just to show Americans what their government is really doing behind the scenes. And this is just one of potentially many violations of the Constitution that are going on. So, Edward Snowden is a hero. That's the bottom line. Anyone who says otherwise is a coward. So, as progressives, you already know that Donald Trump has proposed a plethora of domestic policies that would harm various groups, ranging from Muslims to the LGBT community to the Hispanic community. But he proposed a new domestic policy that is so dim-witted that it would literally harm himself, potentially. So, according to The Hill, Donald Trump says he would roll back food safety regulations if he's elected as president. They explain in a fact sheet posted online Thursday, the campaign highlighted a number of specific regulations to be eliminated under the GOP nominee's economic plan, including what they called the FDA Food Police. It reads, The FDA Food Police, which dictate how the federal government expects farmers to produce fruits and vegetables and even dictates the nutritional content of dog food, the rules govern the soil farmers use, farm and food production hygiene, food packaging, food temperatures, and even what animals may roam which fields and when. It also greatly increases inspections of food facilities and levies new taxes to pay for this inspection overkill. Now, this push to roll back food safety standards by Donald Trump comes just after the FDA proposed seven new rules that would make them more effective in regulating and potentially stopping foodborne illnesses. Quote, manufacturers of both animal and human food are now required to implement preventative controls to minimize the risk of contaminating food when it's manufactured, processed, packed, or held by a faculty. Now, to any normal person who reads this, they think, oh, okay, well, this is good. It's for my own interest for the FDA to regulate things that could potentially make us sick. But Donald Trump is not like ordinary people. He is a lot more dim-witted than <laughs> average citizens. I hate to be a dick, but it's true. And look, you can make the argument that the FDA could be reformed in order to make it more effective. And you could even argue that they need to take more steps to ensure that the food we're consuming is safe. But here's what you can't argue. You can't argue that they should do less. He's saying that he doesn't want them to make sure that greedy corporations aren't regulated. So he wants them to be able to cut corners just to save a few pennies at the expense of our public health. Now, look, I already know, anticipating criticism from libertarians, that they're going to say, well, you know, this isn't too problematic because even if the government isn't regulating these companies who create and sell food, then the free market is going to regulate these companies and the free market will always sort out these types of companies who do want to cut corners. So don't worry about it, Mike. I mean, the free market's going to sort them all out. Right. Okay. So this is what you're essentially arguing by saying that you're saying that it's okay if a company wants to use a chemical to preserve food longer just because it'll save them money because if people die from that we'll we'll find out about it and then we'll boycott that company and then inevitably they'll go out of business but how many people have to die before quote the market sorts it out maybe we should take precautions before anyone is injured and just regulate them from the start see because what you're doing is you're saying we should be skeptical of big government which we should be but you're also contending simultaneously that we should not be skeptical of big businesses I say we be skeptical of them both and do what we can to make sure that the food that goes in our bodies is safe. I mean, I feel like I'm being pretty reasonable by saying that I don't want companies to poison the food that I buy so they can save money. Is this not reasonable? To just remove all food safety regulations or a substantial portion, well, things would get exponentially worse. I mean, think about the frequency to which food safety recalls occur. Do you think that corporations would actually spend the money to recall certain food items after they've been released if it wasn't for the government breathing down their necks? 
Well, of course they wouldn't. Now, Donald Trump lives in the United States, so obviously he's going to be affected by this as well since he eats the food sold in U.S. grocery stores. So try to roll back food safety regulations, Trump, I dare you. And when you get sick or you have a national health crisis on your watch as president, why well, be willing to bet that you're going to want those food safety regulations back immediately? Now, this is just an addition to him saying he's going to cut regulations when it comes to the EPA. Ugh. So he doesn't want us to have safe food. He doesn't want us to have a clean environment. Are you just misanthropic and you hate all humans? You want us to die? I mean, that's, that's what it seems like, right? You don't want to regulate polluters. You don't want to regulate companies who create our foods. What do you want to regulate? I mean, this impacts you too, dumbass. So by cutting back on food safety standards, you're putting your own family's health in jeopardy. You're putting the nation's health in jeopardy. It's just completely ridiculous. And people tell me all the time, I always hear this, liberalism is a mental disorder. <laughs> That's what conservatives say. Look, at least I know, even if you disagree with me on economic policy and domestic and foreign policy, at least I know what the hell is in my own best interest, okay? I don't vote against my own interests. I don't do things or push for policies that are against my own interest. By rolling back food safety standards, I know very well, it's common sense, that that's against my own interest. I don't want my family to eat food that's potentially unhealthy because companies want to save money. And look, he even talks about dog food, how they try to regulate nutrition of dog food as if that's so absurd. Uh, yeah, I want to make sure that my pets are healthy too. Is that so crazy? I mean, I feel like Donald Trump is so detached from reality that nothing you say to him can penetrate his brain. But here's what's awesome. After people started to get wind of this and criticize him for it, he later took down his fact sheet from his website. Because he, he just couldn't take the criticism. And I don't think there's any reasonable response to someone who argues that they want safe food. What are you going to tell them? No, you shouldn't have safe food. You're going to be taxed for it. Okay, well, if there's anything that I want to be taxed for, it's to make sure my food is safe. So there's nothing that he can do to save himself from this. So he deleted it off his, off his website. And that's that. So hopefully this is the last of it. But I never want to hear a Republican saying something this stupid because, I mean, this even affects them. I get the climate change thing because if you're Donald Trump and you're 70 years old or however old he is, you're not going to see the main consequences or the most devastating consequences of climate change come to fruition. That's not going to happen for decades. But with this, you see an immediate effect. They cut corners immediately. You get sick. It's just stupid. I, I just don't. It just proves that Donald Trump is not a serious candidate. So I received a voice message from a Humanist Report viewer from HumanistReport.com named Deborah from San Francisco, and she wanted to comment on uh, Bernie Sanders reacting to my criticism on Meet the Press. So we'll go ahead and listen to that, and then I'll respond. Hi, Mike. My name is Deborah. I'm calling from San Francisco. I just wanted to say that when I saw the Meet the Press episode uh, with uh, Bernie Sanders, and he was actually informed about your comments as far as uh, his uh, apparent or obvious abandonment of Tim Canova in his race against the woman whose name I cannot even bring myself to pronounce. Uh, I was very upset and disturbed by what he did to Tim. And when I saw your video blasting him about... Uh, not campaigning for Tim, um, I I was with you all the way. Uh, you you expressed my deep frustration and hurt by what Bernie did to Tim, and we need more forceful voices like yours, Mike. Don't stop being as forceful as you are. I don't think you just you you owe Bernie an apology. I don't think you owe. Um, an explanation. You called him out, I think, as I said, very forcefully on something he needed to be called out on. And so I wanted to say thank you. And I also wanted to say that I'm absolutely thrilled that um, your comments uh, made their way to Bernie. I just wanted to close by again thanking you for being such a forceful voice for progressives. And the last comment I wanted to make is in regards to the HuffPo article of yours that I read and thought was outstanding. I especially appreciate the fact that you called out Hillary's acceptance of the endorsements, her acceptance with, um, 
I don't know if I want to say glee. Well, the fact that she touted the endorsements of John Negroponte and Henry Kissinger terrifies me. So thank you for calling that out. And it needs to be called out every minute as far as I'm concerned. But keep up the good fight, Mike. I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing. I look forward to your future podcasts. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you so much, Deborah. I mean, it, this is really helpful because I, I wasn't necessarily sure if I was being too harsh on Bernie Sanders. Many people said I was. Others said I wasn't because when I come out here and I talk, I'm just giving my opinion unadulterated. So it, it's helpful to know whether or not I'm being reasonable or unreasonable. So this type of feedback, I think, really is helpful. So thank you so much to Deborah for all the kind words. And also, I'll just note that if you do leave a message on humanistreport.com, it does cut you off after a minute and 30 seconds. So if you want to continue that, you have to uh, respond in a separate message. I don't know why that's the case. I can't control it. I think I have to pay and I, I'm not paying through SpeakPipe, which is the, the company that uh, I've been using. It's just a free service. Uh, so just keep that in mind if you do want to leave a message. But yeah, comment down below. I'm, I'm really excited to hear what you guys think. Well, that's the episode. I'm going to thank everyone for tuning in. If you've made it this far, you are a trooper. Uh, you know, you, you listen to someone talk for a whole hour and didn't get bored. Then I must be doing something right if that's the case. So uh, shout out to all the subscribers and the members, the Patreon patrons, uh, for just being so loyal and tuning in every single week and supporting the podcast. I can't ask for anything more than that. You guys are great. So I really appreciate it. Uh, I will see you all next week. Have a great day. Hey.